This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so hey, just enjoy the show. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. You've got a you had a little vocal fry at the at the top there. Uh, <laughs> vocal fry. Vocal fry. Because lady voiceover artist. Lady voiceover artist. Yeah. Chocolate. You know, goodness. I was. I uh, I was. I was never aware of vocal fry, except as a subtle feeling of uncomfortableness until uh, one time I was standing out in front of a bar in Brooklyn and this young woman woman was talking to me and I was like, I, I'd known her for a while and I was like, what is the, what is the matter with her? I'm thinking to myself, you know, she's talking to me and I'm like, what is she, something's changed. Living in Brooklyn is no good for this person. And then another friend walked up as she, as she moved on in conversation to someone else. Another friend walked up and said in my ear, God, the vocal fry. Huh. Do you think it was an affectation, like a little strap on? She had adopted this vocal fry as a as an affectation, trying to trying to make it in the big city. And I had had an un, uh, an unconscious, not an unconscious, but I had had an uh, I had had a, a visceral reaction to it, but I didn't know what I was reacting to. Hmm. And as soon as he said vocal fry i i'd never heard the term before but i understood immediately what it was and i was like oh that's right she was speaking like her voice was a little frying pan uh she was just (laughs) sitting there free you know like frying some bacon (laughs) and i was like vocal fry that is a that is a new concept and then all of a sudden i heard it everywhere and i was like oh stop doing that it's everywhere Stop well, it. um, but I'll tell you, I, I, this might be on the Netflix. Um, Lake Bell uh, made a movie called In a World. In a World. In a World. And it's about voiceover, uh, people. It's a, I've know, been, I've been thing. meaning to, I've been meaning to, uh, to watch this movie. I heard many good things about it. It's great. It's about a young woman trying to break into the, to the overwhelmingly, uh, male voiceover world. Mm-hmm. And her dad is like the, oh, what's that guy's name? Don, what's his name? She, anyway, her father in the movie is like the king of, of mm. voiceovers, and she's really good. She, she, I think she might teach accents to people or something in the movie, and she <laughs> wants to. Yeah, it's exactly as you described it, though. And Will Arnett is in it, which of course makes it triple funny. Yes, but, he's. But good. what's great is she was on uh, on the Fresh Air. She and the actor who plays her father were both interviewed on Fresh Air, and she went through. And the great thing about a voice person is they can, you know, illustrate. Everything mm-hmm. that, that they want to describe to you. And she, so she talked through all of the annoying things that female voice artists are expected <laughs> to be able to do, including the fry. The fry. And the baby voice. <laughs> oh, the baby voice. Oh, the baby voice. I hear it a lot, you know, because I oh, have like a kid radio, now. When you turn on the radio, you, you know, you hear it in commercials, especially. Mm-hmm. I think I feel like I hear it a lot at the times that we're listening to radio. You, you hear all of those horrible affectations. Well, it's funny because uh, you and I on on this program, and again, I know that some of our listeners are are uh, are opposed to me breaking the fourth wall, hmm. or even the third wall. What listeners? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you and I are voice artists, right? <laughs> we are paint, we not? We, yes, we paint, we paint in obscenities, Hitler and snot. <laughs> Although fortunately, fortunately for us, mm-hmm. we have never had to we've never had to describe our art 
as ever exploring the intersections between anything. That's one oh. of the, that's one of the things that I'm really I'm <laughs> really like adamant. Look, do you like it when people explore intersections, John? I just I feel like whenever I see an artist say that their work explores the intersections between, I'm just like ah. I put the brochure down. I turn away from the gallery wall mm. and I say, I do not want to. I do not want to explore intersections with you, <laughs> artist. And I, as an artist, have have been fortunate never to have to explore an intersection and. And I don't, and I don't want us to do it on this program. It's it's funny if you think about like you know reading interviews with musicians you like or, or filmmakers you like. You know they'll sometimes talk a little bit about technique, certainly, mm-hmm. but I mean they'll talk mm-hmm. about it in really mm-hmm. practical terms. But it seems like today, especially in the internet related trades, it's not uncommon at all to talk a whole lot about your philosophy before you've ever actually made it. <laughs> <laughs> and talk about like what you're, what you, the thing that you will eventually produce is going mm-hmm. to be the intersection of these two oh, things. That's right. That's right. Well, I hope, I hope that we've played some small role in that, uh, in, in encouraging young people to, to really put forth a philosophy before they've ever really made anything. Yeah, a lot of work lacks a persuasive theory, as <laughs> as uh, Tom Wolfe would say. Uh, you know, your work is interesting, but it lacks a persuasive theory. <laughs> it's so early. It's really early. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I received my first spam text this morning. Oh, welcome. Did you, welcome. Get did you, did you get it on your phony phone? Or I, I get it on, on my, my Google. I get them, well, I get it on Google Voice forwarded to my phone a lot. But was it? Were you placed in a? Were you cast in a movie? Nope. No. 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 I, this was. This was even grosser. I. So I'm embarrassed to say. I'm so embarrassed. It's the intersection of embarrassment and texts. Mm-hmm. But lately, I have. I don't know what has happened to me. I, 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 I tried to put a little bit of a, of a moratorium on, thrifting. Just because it just seemed like oh, yeah. I just need to just chill it out for a little mm-hmm. while. If you want to lose weight, stop buying potato chips. That's if right. you want less stuff that requires classification, that's right. Don't go stop. to the thrift store. Stop going to the thrift store. Um, right about the time that I found a whole series of tiles uh, that had that all had then then they were old, and each one of them had a different crest of a different province in the che- in Czechoslovakia. Hmm. I was like <laughs> I have to, that I have to own these things. Like look at that it's the you know it's the it's the 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 checkerboard griffin of Moravia. And I then I got them home and I was just like what is going on? You, I mean you <laughs> you've decorated your house now like a beer stube. <laughs> And uh, you don't even drink beer, so I was like, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to thrift stores anymore. And then all of a sudden, at three o'clock in the morning, I'm lying in bed and I'm scanning eBay on my fucking phone, and I'm, I'm like on eBay and I'm, I'm, I'm searching, 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 and I'm like, you know what? I don't have is any, I don't have any Italian climbing boots. You know what else I don't have? I don't have silk pajamas. And well, that seems like an obvious one. Well, right? Silk pajamas. I have a lot of cotton pajamas. I don't wear pajamas, but I have cotton pajamas because I feel like they need to be archived. That's something a gentleman needs. 
Uh, and anyway, and at some point, so then I'm on eBay, and then I'm getting, uh, then I get, I get, uh, I get all, uh, I get all excited about like, oh, you know, you know what I, the problem, the problem isn't that I don't have any Italian climbing boots, it's that I don't know enough about Italian climbing boots. Mm. And so then I'm researching Italian climbing boots on the internet, which leads me to all of those, uh, sites where men are talking to one another about their clothes and their fashion. And there's a whole world, and I, I know you don't know anything about this. How? How would you know that? <laughs> because you tuck your dad jeans into your socks. Well. Because <laughs> <laughs> it keeps... Socks like right? these you don't keep to yourself. <laughs> right, it keeps the skeeters out. But... <laughs> But I'm on, and so then I'm then I'm reading message boards where guys are like, I bought a pair of Italian climbing boots, and I found that an eleven point five is actually closer to a twelve, or whatever it is. I mean, the people just talk. I, I don't have to tell you. People no, talk. I mean every the thing is whatever it is, whether it's the seduction community or the Italian boot community, you mm -hmm. you get deeply into um, uh, jargon, technology, insider information. You know, who knows more, who's more legit, right? right. I mean, it's, that's, I think that's common to pretty much every community eventually, especially if it involves men. That's right. That's absolutely right. Men and are so good then at that. They're bootsplainers. Then I'm, then I'm getting bootsplained to by a thousand guys, and I have no way of telling whether these guys are 65-year-old former mountain climbers or whether they are 22-year-old uh, people who live <laughs> on the interns. Side. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually... And the thing is, my judgment, my judgment is impaired at four o'clock in the morning. And I'm, I, you know, and right next to me on the bed stand, I have an iPad, but I'm not doing it on the iPad. I'm looking, I'm using my phone and I'm, you know, I'm scanning these little message boards, uh, researching some esoterica. And then invariably somebody says, well, you know, J. Crew has a really good set of reissued Italian mountain climbing boots, and uh, even even though it's against everything that I stand for, I went and was trying to look at something on the J. Crew website, and they wanted me to log in, hmm. and I I was I, I was alone. I was vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, was, I was a little impaired. I was a little sad. I was longing for these. I was longing for information. And I entered my information into the J Crew website. Then I was logged in. Now I had an account. I was logged in. I realized that that the that the website was a um, that it was that it was just a. It was just an elaborate shell game. No, you weren't on the J. Crew site. No, I was. Oh, but but all internet commerce is a is some kind of a shell game, right? I got there, I found the thing that I was trying to find, and then I clicked all the way through to the to the end game, and they were like, "Oh, so sorry, sold out." Would you like to see another thing that doesn't it isn't anything like it? J. Crew. Also, I think it's one of those companies where a lot of times you get to a page and they say, "Wouldn't it be easier if you called us?" Oh, I've done really? that with my daughter. Yeah, we're like, I'm trying to order a backpack for my daughter, like real specific. And like, well, to get these certain features, why don't you just call us? That's yeah. the, certain things you have to call. They really, I think, want you to call. Well, anyway, you're I, stuck. You're stuck in a shell game, and you're vulnerable. 
I'm vulnerable in this shell game, and I and I'm like, ah, oh, why did I do this? Get, you know, this is garbage. Get me out of here. And I log off, and I try and and I go and I wash my hands and I scrub them really hard, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, that was a bad experience. And I wake up the next day, and there's spam in my email from some clothing company, and I'm like, fucking J Crew, that fast? You sold my stuff? You sold me down the river that fast? And then, and now it's two days later, and I got a freaking text from somebody that's like, "Are you, in, you know, Michael Kors is having a huge sale?" What do you think they sold your information? Thong underpants. I didn't even put my, I didn't mm. even put my phone number in this thing. I don't think that's related. How could it not be? I've never received There's a- so many ways, disturbing, sad ways that things cannot be related. Michael Kors. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I did buy my daughter every every year at the beginning of the school year. We get our daughter a new backpack, and we ordered her the special special backpack with the purple backpack with the owls and her want to put her initials on it. So we called them. That sets up that sets up a a really weird uh, a really weird precedent for her. Why is she's that? gonna well, she's gonna be forty two years old, and she's gonna be like, oh, it's fucking September. I need a new backpack. Oh, mid, mid mid to late August, I still want new Duo Tang folders. I have no need for them. I just want. <laughs> I crave them. I crave writing writing my name and my room number and subject at the top of everyone. Um, so okay, here's what I will tell you, and nothing mm-hmm. against J Crew, and I'm pretty positive it was J Crew that we got this from because they make a nice backpack. And um, but it was funny because I remember like I I guess I, I feel like I probably maybe signed up for a new account. Because I didn't know my old password or something. Long story short, I think I got at least eight emails from them having bought exactly one item. Some of them yeah. were things saying, we've received your order. Other things like, your order is on the way. But then I started getting like daily emails from them after mm-hmm. that. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I the thing is there are, there are, let me just say, there are good mailing lists in the world that are worth signing up for. And people will send you something informative every day. And that that's a good thing. I have never, to my knowledge, at least in the, in the, in the, contemporary internet age, like in the last 10 years, I have never intentionally asked a vendor to email me about anything ever. <laughs> in fact, in fact, because I know stuff about computers, I scan the page for the place where I can click the dingus to say I don't want to get the email. Sure, you have to go, you have to dig down through several layers to find the place where you say, please don't ever email me. Right, but even still, like if you buy stuff from third parties on Amazon, they send them your information. So oh. something that I bought like three years ago, I still get stuff about that and so finally i had to just you know mash on the the, the spam button a bunch of times to get you know the j crew stuff to stop anyway i think and so what was the nature what was the nature of your text well I, i've deleted it but it, first of all it had a lot of uh it had a lot of Emo- emojis emojis mm-hmm. little star emojis and happy face emojis and snowflake emojis it was a, a very long text and it was telling me that there were special offers for me about <laughs> Michael Kors uh, products, and I'm assuming Michael that Kors. That, you're talking about the great, the, the the great American designer, Michael Kors. I'm, I'm assuming that he is a clothes designer, a fashion as seen on Project Runway. Yeah, he, I, he has I, stores, he designs things, and he looks like an Oompa Loompa. I I, I am not familiar with his with his work. And um, and it is not the type of thing. I mean, generally, when I see things like that, that I don't. When I see a name of a fashion designer, yeah, I I I, I lodge it somewhere in the back of my head as a as a thing to. You can make a joke about sometimes. As a th- well, as a thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I nice I, shirt, I put, Carl Lagerfeld. I put about half of it in in a pl- in a place in my brain where I where I catalog names of things to hate. 
and then half of it in the other part of my brain, which is like, what if I'm at a cocktail party and I meet this guy? I'd better, you know, I'd better like have some connection. I'd better the familiarity of like this guy is a fashion designer. So I don't walk up to him and say, I loved your show. Oh, the great fashion oh. shows. Oh, <laughs> what show? Ah, uh, fashion. Um, you know what you, what you can watch for? The one that the, uh, everybody gets at some point. Um, watch out for a text involving uh, discounted prices on premium uh, brand sunglasses. Oh. That's the one everybody's been getting for like the last year. <clears throat> I, I have noticed, uh, I've noticed that the thrift stores now almost universally recognize the value of their vintage sunglasses. Oh, oh, interesting. Used to be I would find I would find Ray-Bans by the bucket load for 99 cents at Goodwills and they didn't they were oblivious to them and I w- walked into a Goodwill the other day and they had a pair of Ray-Bans uh, under the glass which was a bad sign and then I was like how much do you want for those? Because you know, I've I've converted to a new the new way of thinking. I'm willing to pay a little bit of money. I see. I that must have been it. tough for you to accept. I, but it's like I get it's, it. It's, okay, it's, still, it's very hard for me to accept. These things are worth money. I knew it before. You seem to know but it now. They're outrageous. I mean, John, you've been to the Goodwill by our house, the the, the, fan, the now fancy Goodwill, mm. where those shirts. There's no way that that ten year old shirt cost that much when they put it out. That's, well, that's ridiculous. That's exactly right. And I, and I said to the woman, like, how much is the how much you want for those? And she said ninety nine dollars, <laughs> and I said ninety nine dollars. That seems lady, like a lot of dollars for you, sunglasses. They're not that much more new with a case. And she's like, she shrugged and was like, "I know. What can I say?" I was like, "Oh man, ninety nine dollars." Well, you Somebody. should respond to some of those texts. Here, here's some that I've gotten uh, about every week or. Two, I get a similar text message. The most here's one recently. Merlin, so they know my name. You have been matched with TV show starring Dennis Leary. Auditions approaching soon. What? Yeah, pays eight hundred and forty-two dollars a day. It's a very specific number. Hello. Merlin, you have been matched with a TV show directed by Mark Wahlberg. Auditions this week. Uh, and they're all Las Vegas telephone numbers. They're all from seven zero two phone numbers. Uh, Robert De Niro. I could work with Robert De Niro. I could work on the hit TV series uh, Sirens. I could be in a fall modeling shoot for something called Entre Bleu. Now, now, how does this? I mean, this seems very specific on the um, uh, in the sense that they have to know that you are somebody who, like, this feels like it's coming from inside your yeah, brain, inside the house. No, right? no. Well, yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> you don't want to know how much your stuff is already out there, but it's uh, <laughs> it's no. They know my they know my name and they know my Google Voice number and they text it. Um, so but yeah, that you would, but that you might, that you might like seriously be considering, I mean, for me, right. A text like that, I would, I, I would, I'd be like, tell finally, me tell me more. <laughs> finally, De Niro has finally asked for me by name. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing about a scam is it's been years now. And since a scam looked like the scam you thought it was, and mm. the problem is today, the scams are so complex that I mean, I think it's. I think sometimes when with things like this, I wonder if some of these are just a way of verifying the most important thing in a scam, which is that you will respond. Right. So, is there someone on the end of the uh, on the other end of the line? Well, yeah. And here's the thing: these these have a pattern to them. These are basically just spit out by some kind of an, an algorithm. So it's got it says Merlin, you have been matched with something. 
and then it'll say where it's accepting submissions for something. The name of a celebrity, something about auditions, a phone number, and then it always ends with reply stop to stop. Because, you know, in SMS, you're supposed to be able to, I think maybe legally, you're supposed to be able to type the four letters S-T-O-P and they'll never contact you again. Of course, it doesn't work. It's the same way people used to reply to spam and go, please, could you, I, could you please put me on your do not mail list because I don't like to receive unsolicited email. And all that does is prove that your email works. When you respond to spam, it just shows that your email account works and B, you respond to things. And here's what every salesperson knows is there are people out there who think they don't respond to salespeople, but as long as you're talking, they're still closing. So if you're talking to a spammer, like, why are you talking to them? Like, why aren't you, you might as well yell at a wall. But now they know that now they know that your account works. So maybe if they didn't get you with that one, they'll get you with something else. Ten years ago, my wife replied to some, send in some card from a magazine, and I've been plagued by you salespeople ever since. Oh, let me see, let me see. Grace, Grace, you're going to need $10,000 in cash and the American Express card. Grace, oh, I really, I really want to get you into that. Oh, I wish I could have gotten you in last time. Old Gil really needs this one. Do you know... I, I know you don't follow my work, but did, do you know how much I adore that movie? It's a very good it's movie. It's a very good movie. And the guy yeah. in that scene is, is we're talking about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And the of course Jack Lemon is peerless. Can there be can there be anybody who listens to this program who isn't who hasn't watched Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross a uh, hundred times? There's always something <laughs> to surprise us, John. There's always something to surprise us. You know, I I think it's safe to say probably they have not watched it as many times as I have watched it, for example. Right, and it's and, a short and, film. It's a, it's a film you can watch in ninety minutes. There are young people out there. Um, <laughs> Your classic twenty-two-year-olds, you know, who it's very hard to know what they've seen uh, and what they haven't seen. They have know have all they the seen words to have, what the fox said, but they've never seen a Hitchcock film. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I suddenly hate myself so oh, much. Uh, Hitchcock film. Oh, I saw. Oh, did you see? Did you see? <laughs> rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. <laughs> it was entirely unacceptable. Did you see this Road Warrior reboot? No, no. I saw all this talk on the internet about a uh, Road Warrior trailer. Boop, like, easy joke. <laughs> and I said, "What? Oh, uh, that's right. Easy joke. <laughs> did that just did that just set off a bot in you?" <laughs> Beep, <laughs> no, bop, sorry. Bop, easy joke. Easy sorry, joke. I'm just I'm just sitting there in the peanut gallery watching all the people who hate their life waiting to make the easy joke about anything <laughs> anybody says. Well, not picture of paper. Red Warrior, more like It seemed like you, like I just saw, caught a glimpse behind the curtain. I think, of how, I, think how I might you, have been hacked. The, 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 really? The, Ronald the, Reagan, more like huh, huh. 450,000 different <laughs> scripts that are running in you all the time. Am I right? Oh, easy joke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so people are talking about the Blade Runner, or not Blade Runner, the uh, gro- the Road Warrior trailer mm-hmm. on Twitter, and I'm like, why, why suddenly are half a dozen people I follow going back and watching a movie trailer from 1981? And then I was uh, sitting around the house, and I was made aware of the fact that they ha- are making a new Road Warrior movie, and you know, Road Warrior. Uh, was was very important to me. I would say one of the real foundational artworks Never seen in my it. Never canon. Seen it. You, oh, you can't be serious. No. 
You can't be serious. See, You've I'm like those 22 year olds you hate. I'm like the app class. What were you doing in 1981 that the Road Warrior did not appeal to you? Uh, masturbating and throwing saving throws. <laughs> At separate times, some gentleman. And you know, my dad took me to see it. He was like, I was so I was so into it, and of course I couldn't how see do, it. How did he say it to you? It was rated R, and I was well. How old was I in 1981? Thirteen. Uh, you were yes, thirteen. Twelve or thirteen. So no, I went with my dad. Is that right? Yeah, I guess that's right. Uh, you're six, because, sixty-eight, right? Yeah. Okay. And I don't. I think I was probably twelve because um, my birthday's in September, and I think the movie came out. I don't know in the summer. But anyway, I went with the. I went with my dad, and uh, the movie was, you know, obviously gra- graphically violent, and there's all every kind of violence. Uh, but as a pyromaniac, there were there's a lot of fire in that movie that was very exciting to me. And at you know that was at an age when any appearance of fire on the screen, fire was always the star of any film. <laughs> um, but it had all the ingredients. It had all the it had all the red dawn, uh, post apocalyptic lawlessness. Yeah, cool outfits, big guns. You know, Cars, punk. people with neat hair. Yeah, people with neat hair. People, um, lots of quotable lines, foreign accents. Um, it just seemed, and fa- you know, like oh yeah, like fast driving and dangerous behavior. Number one dangerous behavior movie. So anyway, this thing, this this movie resonated with me. I've seen it. 1,000 times. Did, did you seek out the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, did you seek out the new version, uh, the trailer for the new one? Well, so this was the thing. So I heard, I heard about it and I was like, oh, God, I have to go now and watch this thing. I don't want to. And I, and I, I have to go decide what part of this is going to make me mad. <laughs> I'm just, I'm so mad already. And, 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 and interestingly, when I found out that Charlize Theron was, in the film <clears throat> that did not turn me against it right away. Oh, because, why would that turn you against it? Well, this is the thing. It, it, there were, there were 400 actresses that could have been cast in that movie and 390 of them would have turned me against it immediately. Oh, okay. Right. You're thinking, you're thinking no guarantee, but she could pull it off. But I, but of all the actresses, Charlize Theron is has been a very small group of people where I'm like, mm-hmm, okay, I believe it. Still, like it could even be good with it's her. It's not a disaster on the face of it because she is an actress who's willing to make herself ugly in order to. Yes, like, she's she's famously the, that. She's also she's got a hilarious sense of humor. Very can funny be self, lady. Self-effacing. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see and, her in that uh, Between Two Ferns? No, no, oh, that, that that shows a little close to home for me. Um, but uh, but she, people in your in your basement. <laughs> she has she has a real physicality. You know, she has. There's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot of things in which I could see her sort of like be a, the proto humongous and and take over the film. So I'm like, okay, I'm into it. You know, and I go and I click and I watch this trailer. And it's one of these movies where a car gets into an accident and the, and the tire comes off the car. And instead of bouncing across the desert, it comes straight at the camera. Oh, boy. And then you see the tire treads on it as it goes by. And Smash then, cut. 
<laughs> right. And there's, you know, all super slow-mo and people and things blowing up. Implausible car wrecks. CGI where, flames. Yeah, where, where cars are, are tumbling upside, you know, like there's, they're, they're in a wreck and they, and they roll 40 times. And in the space of that, somebody slides out the window, oh, manages okay. to yeah. walk across the ground, pick up the car keys and get back in the rolling car. And in then the explosion to, behind them without <laughs> turning around. Yeah, right. And they open the glove box and the car is still rolling and it's just like, fuck you a thousand million times. Yeah. So uh, people are real excited about it. They're really excited about Star Wars. Uh, I don't... Um, <laughs> I, don't share, I don't share their enthusiasm. I just think you, you may have just turned some kind of important public corner in old manness. So I, I watched, I watched the... Um, I watched the online advertisement for the film, and uh, it was alternately disappointing and implausible. Some people like Star Wars. I uh, didn't get the boots. If you can picture me in a giant shawl collar cardigan sweater. Angrily slamming a book closed. <laughs> I'm basically the, the 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 French father in Munich. I'm you know chopping <laughs> chopping up uh, some shallots. I'm like you could have been my son. Oh NPR dad. Um. <clears throat> so no boots for you. No. Um. Mm, I did. I actually did get some boots. Oh good, good, good. But they did you ever get a wooden time? fork. They weren't Italian climbing boots. You know, there was someone you, you on Twitter. You did swear, kind of on the record publicly, that you, I, I think you were, it sounded like you were really heavily weighing toward, as soon as you hit the Skype button, you were going to walk outside and, and buy a, a wooden fork and spoon. Well, so here's what happened. Someone on Twitter. Yes, I saw. Yeah, right? They, 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 they made us aware of a thought technology that we've been missing. They did. They were like, what the, what are you doing, ding-a-ling? Why don't you get chopsticks? And I was like, boy, wow, 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 wow. What the hell have I been doing? Why am I not carrying chopsticks all the time? Because chopsticks you can use for about a thousand applications. Uh, you know, points points to the clever Twitter guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's great. Um, next time you are around a fire where people are eating stew, pull mm. out some chopsticks and see oh, what kind of response you get. Good point. Good point. Did Wait you, a did, minute. Did you bring a fork? No, but I have these chopsticks. <laughs> they turn into a pen. Good point. Okay. Because part of it, you're repping, right? Part of yeah, it is you want to sure. go whoosh, and you want there to be like an audible whoosh, like you're pulling out your claymore, and, mm-hmm. and you go here, and you got a fork. Classic scene in The Road Warrior. Hmm. He pulls out where, a fork. Where, where the Road Warrior himself, Mad Max. The titular uh, Road Warrior. That's right. Opens a can of dog food. He has a dog. Yeah. Right. He's got like, a, like an Australian Shepherd kind of dog. That's right. A little Australian Shepherd dog. He opens a can of dog food, and you, as the viewer in 1981, as a 13-year-old boy in 1981, you're like, oh, he's going to feed his dog. Mm-hmm. And then he pulls out a fork from inside his leather costume and starts eating the dog food, which was maybe as shocking a thing as any of the death or dismemberment that you see in the film uh, on first viewing. Like, oh, he's eating, 
the dog food. Yes, and then- we've seen so much gross stuff in the 30 years since then that you forget that there was a time when something like that would really kind of put you off your lunch. Just like, whoa, but then... I think but, Kevin but it- Costner drinking his pee, very heavily influenced. I'm not sure I saw that movie. Is, that would be Waterworld. Waterworld. Oh, no, didn't see that movie. Uh, didn't see Waterworld uh, because... I, because I follow the adage of uh, whichever director it was who said, "Don't never make, never direct a film on water." <laughs> I forget who that was. That's a quote. That's a wiki quote. It sounds like Wallace Shawn in The Princess Bride. I think it was before. Never that. fight I a think... land land war in Asia. <laughs> never direct a film. Uh, never direct a film on open water. Or never something. go up against the Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> the cliffs of insanity. <laughs> <laughs> it's still so funny. <laughs> the way he says that, that clips of insanity. insanity. <laughs> oh man, uh, Andre oh, the but, Giant. But, but, but wait, the, yeah. there, there's more to oh, this. Oh, sorry, sorry. There's you got your Australian this, fork. There's more to this dog food story. Okay. So he's eating the dog food, but of course, there, that's the moment when the film blows up in your mind. Smash cut. Because you're like, it's not just. That they're driving around in the desert and that there don't appear to be any police. It truly is the end times. It's a great example and of show don't tell. A can of dog today food. you would get a crawl, or like right. a four paragraph crawl with a voiceover and some <laughs> some sporadic news bits. <laughs> you know that's what they do today. They did it in that Planet of the Apes movie. They do it in all these movies now. They did the, it in twenty eight days later. People eating dog food. Oh my! Yeah, but in that, you just all you do, you show that, you show that scene, and you're like, oh shit, got real. Right now, I understand the entire uh, the entire world of the film. Yeah. But as he's eating the can of dog food, the dog is watching him, licking his lips, but also the gyro captain is watching him. <laughs> and <laughs> that the sounds like gy- a guy who owns a Greek restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> not the Euro captain. <laughs> The gyro captain. <clears throat> I gotta look this up. I'm sorry. I'm derailing the, you. I, is this Mad Max or the Road Warrior you're talking this about? This is the Road Warrior. Road Warrior the gyro right. captain's watching him, and the gyro captain reaches into his gyro captain costume and pulls out a wooden mixing spoon that is like heavily used. And then the then again, show don't tell, the world double triple explodes. Because you realize every single person in this world is carrying an eating utensil in his coat. And the gyro captain has chosen a wooden mixing spoon, not because that's the best tool, but it's because it's the tool that he found. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, get this film is owning me, owning me as a 13-year-old. And I think that that is the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the beginning of this feeling that I should always have an eating utensil. And the and the question is, are you a road warrior who has a fucking fork? Or are you a gyro captain who's carrying around a mixing spoon? You're a smartest on Twitter who has chopsticks. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, Actually, so you now, can have a lot of the similar effect just by having chopsticks, which is an ancient tool that you could use. You know, I feel like... You wouldn't I even really like need to do have... anything special. You probably have it in your house right now. <laughs> I should have a I should have a little leather toolkit that I unroll <laughs> and it has a spoon, a fork, chopsticks. What do they call it? You got your daily carry? What do they call it? What are the, those douchey sites where people show what they put in their pockets? Oh, I have seen those. Yeah. <laughs> daily carry. 
it's a thing. It's a whole genre. It's like, let me take you on an excruciating tour of the various kinds of costly knives I keep in this leather bag. Oh, my daily carry. You got, is, you got, you got, you got to show off your costly wristwatch, your yeah. expensive pen, mm-hmm. some kind of a, of a fancy knife. And then there's got to be usually some kind of a dingus that's extra super too, too clever. Oh, it's like some kind of a pen that's a lighter or something. A pen that's a lighter. Yeah. You Brian know, my, May did the music for Mad Max 2. Brian you May. don't have to tell me. Wow. I love that guy. And the music is very evocative. There's a lot of that. I had the hot licks. I had the hot licks for him. Oh, did the I say I had his hot licks? Oh, uh, you're talking about the, uh, the, the how to. Did you ever buy the hot licks? You ever get those? It's a, it's a VHS tape, right? Mine was a cassette that came with a little booklet. Oh. And it was amazing because it was, it sounds like it was all just recorded in one take. Hey, this is Brian May from Queen. Uh, you know, uh, tie your mother down. And they play the original and then he slowly plays it for you. And you learn that's how I learned to play Bohemian Rhapsody. It was fantastic. Oh, it was fantastic. No, I never, the, the one time I was watching MTV and for some reason, Oh, you're, this is oh, this is even more embarrassing. I was going to tell you what my daily carry is, but no, I'm not going to. I want to hear both. I want to circle I'm, back. I'm going to write I'm it down. Swi- I'm switching gears. Daily carry. Can't forget it. I'm watching MTV early days. Has to be about 1981, too. And they're interviewing Eric Clapton. And this was before I had the uh, before I had the realization that uh, that there was something dead inside of Eric Clapton. And it, it was also before his like second big comeback. It was before it's the before uh, after midnight. No, 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 no. It was before. What's the one? It's in the way that you use it. It was before right, that. that one. Right, and and uh, and uh, and the, there was a there was a good song on that record. Like, <laughs> I forget what I forget when, but there were there were there were some good. Uh, some friends of mine actually went to see him on that tour. I didn't. I didn't go. You know that was the era. That was the era when '60s rock stars were appearing on stage in like dusters. Oh, absolutely! They were as part of they were all coming back costuming. out of the. Yeah, they were all coming out of the woodwork. They were in their 40s, coming out of yeah. the woodwork with something you know a more palatable version of something that they they'd kind of done in the '60s and '70s. Yeah, but they but they had a mullet. I think he did have a leather duster. I think you're right. A leather duster and a mullet and 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 um you know and it's I, I'm sad. To say because now I'm in my forties, like, like oh, it could have. These guys were still feeling pretty relevant. Oh, I, I've uh, been more successful when I was young. I could suck like they did. Yeah, exactly. Forever, man. Forever, man. She's waiting. She's waiting. She's waiting. <laughs> See, the was, thing uh, is, you wanna you wanna have a forever woman because that's a nice pairing with a forever man. Anyway, this is before. He took I, almost the amount of time it said to say those words to write them. <laughs> this is before I understood that there was something permanently dead inside of me. <laughs> and he was on MTV, and you know, and I was like, "Oh, Clapton, Clapton, yeah." And he's talking about his guitar playing, and he's got a guitar in his hand. And so I, I reach over and I push record on the Betamax player that we had. That I kept, um, that I kept in there, uh, to record all the, uh, the bikini running scenes at the end of Benny Hill. 
Oh, so so like if a ZZ Top video came on, you could just run over, hit record, and you Boom. know you were good. And yeah. you catch it, right? You got a burner in there. And so he so Clapton's there and he's like, you know, my guitar parts are, you know, they're really simple, man. I mean, it's not like a uh, that's not a very good Clapton accent, but and he said, for instance, you know, one of the things I do, I'm kind of doing a George Harrison or a Ringo Starr accent, aren't I? I anyway, wasn't going to say says, anything. It's a little bit Liverpool. <laughs> he says, you know, I play uh, I, uh, one of these licks. And he goes, and I was like, he just showed me how to play a guitar lick. And I, I uh, rewound the tape a hundred times. And I learned this guitar lick. That's a pretty good lick. And I was like, wow, let me do that again. And basically that one guitar lick is the, that's the only guitar lick I ever learned. And it's the foundation of every single guitar solo I've ever played. Wow. And I don't like, like uh, when I was staying at your house, one of the first times we ever met. No, 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 not one of the first times we ever met. We, we'd been friends for a while, but well, you. Well, it was one of our me. first, uh, probably one of our first high level meetings. Yeah, you showed me. That's a pretty good one. That's a, that is super handy. And I was like, that's a killer guitar riff. That was the second riff I'd ever if learned. You ever need a reason to play every, if you ever need a reason to play everything in G, that's it. So, Can I also show you, do you know the, uh, you know, also know the, um, uh, the Rocks Off one, right? Which one is Rocks Off? I don't know. <laughs> it's just one that goes, it's like, oh, I, I, my guitar's all fucked up. I think, yeah, I, think I got some kind of Chinese tuning too. on it right now. But you know, but you're right. All you need to know. Oh wait, I know, I know one more. That's good. The little walk down. Yeah. So those are those are the guitar licks that I know, and that one that I learned from Clapton uh, from my from my beta tape of him sitting in an MTV studio telling Martha Quinn that he that all of his guitar parts were actually really simple, and. Uh, and I felt like after I learned that one guitar part, I was I was good. I was covered, right? I had you one. can extrapolate a lot from those simple things. Yeah, yeah, right. And so then you know, so then I did that every every time I got a chance, <laughs> and uh, little by little, I think maybe then off of a cassette tape, I learned the solo for Bad Moon Rising. That's a good one. Uh-huh. This this is the one I was talking about. This one you can find always find a good place for this. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I do. It's kind of. It's a little Keith Keith Richardsy. Yeah, that's a nice one. I should have learned. What you learn? Learn the little box. Somebody shows you the little box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, the little box. Somebody drew me the little box on a piece of on a piece of. It's notebook. permanently. It's it's one of those things. that's like, uh, uh, who's the uh, who's the guy? Who's the psychologist? Maslow. The, uh, no, no. Uh, uh, yeah, it's like a pyramid. Uh, Doctor, uh, uh, Doctor, Doctor Who. Doctor Sears. No, you know who uh, I mean. The uh, the guy that's not Freud. The other guy. Um, Kant. Descartes. Can't decide who I hate more right now. 
Uh, it's like a Jungian thing for me. Oh, oh, Jung. I, I see the little bom, 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 bom. Well, see, not, that's not it, but you know, bom, 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 bom. You know, pentatonic. I could see that on, on a fretboard, like, in my brain all the time. Uh, I see it, too. I, the, the funniest thing, whenever I tune the guitar... Descartes. <laughs> <laughs> whenever I tune the guitar... And... <laughs> Make, make certain think, that you bend the fifth. I think about the intersection of northern lights. <laughs> You're doing an intersection. And Benson. I am. I'm thinking about the intersection of, but I'm actually thinking of the intersection of two streets in, in Anchorage. Right. And for whatever reason, it's imprinted in a Descartian fashion, mm. a Cartesian fashion. Cartesian pyramid. <laughs> I used to love that show. The, the Cartesian water that makes our beer... So delicious. Parmenidean <laughs> uh, uh, cheese. For whatever reason, uh, this, uh, and I'm sure, I, well, I hope other people have this experience, where certain, like, certain completely unrelated memories get attached to uh, actions that you, have, that you do frequently that you've been doing for forever. And, uh, you know, every time you brush your teeth, you think about the March of Dimes, or every time I every time I tune the guitar, I think about this particular intersection in Anchorage. I'm just I'm March of Dimes. <laughs> March of Dimes. You know, when you think about that, that's kind of a funny. It's I mean, every dollar's made of dimes, <laughs> ones and twos. And now from now on, I will think of the March of Dimes every time I brush my teeth, and I, and I won't know why. One of the one of the la- oh, after I graduated from high school, I was at the mall with a good friend of mine and he was moving away and we were walking around the mall and we stopped at a drinking fountain and he said, uh, you know, he took a drink and then I'm taking a drink. And as I'm taking a drink, he said, <clears throat> I want you every time you see the little drain at the bottom of a drinking fountain, I want you to think of me. <laughs> whoa. And I was like, I said, whoa, <clears throat> He was trying to colonize my brain. He was trying to put himself. He was. He just. He I've did never, not. Want I've to, never met him, and now I'm going to do that. Yeah, he did not. Th- he did not want to be forgotten. <gasps> and he was walking around the mall, and he was like, "How do I make sure that I am not forgotten?" It's like every time you, every time you bend over to take a drink of water at a drinking fountain, I want you, and you see that little, that little drain. I want you to think of me. Pretty. Uh, and did, did it work? Uh, well, no, because he didn't but, use drinking fountains that much. Well, or it, it was—it's just a thing of like I'm not going to be—I'm not so easily colonized. Mm. But I do remember that moment, and I've thought about it many times as a kind of example of human frailty. Oh man, I'm—I don't know if I'm the opposite of that, but I'm, I'm the opposite of that. Uh, I, I can still I can tell you specifically. I remember. I, I mean, there's so much dumb shit where you could get into my brain so easily. It's appalling. <laughs> so now I got something for toothbrushing. And mm-hmm. the thing is, I won't remember this conversation. And now March on the dimes. podcast, six months from now, like, you know what's funny is every time I brush my teeth, I think of the March of Dimes. Like, I, I don't remember why. I've ever told you this story. It's pretty crazy. I, but I um, but I remember one time I had my mom uh, stopped at uh, at a like a fa- uh, not a fast food like a Seven Eleven type place. She said we got to get ca- got to get film for the camera. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, she says, go, just go in and get this. You, you got to get the Kodak film, Kodak 110 20 exposure. 
okay. <clears throat> what is right. it? Kodak, 11020 exposure. 11020 exposure, 11020 exposure, 11020 exposure, 11020 exposure. That's when I was like 10. And I uh-huh. still have 11020 exposure on my brain. And uh, if uh, I have to come up with an anecdote, uh, yeah, yeah, 30, 38 years ago, my mom said 11020 exposure to me, and I still can think of it very, very easily. I will never forget 11020 exposure. Loaf of bread, quarter milk, stick of butter. <laughs> stick of butter. <laughs> Loaf of bread, quarter milk, stick of butter. <laughs> Marsha Dimes. Uh, I have to think that my brain is full of those things, too. Um, and uh, they come out. they come out all the time, and you wonder, when you get one of those flash memories where it just seems like you're 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 filling up your brain with something else and all of a sudden it's like well we got to get we got to push this thing out and you're just transported to to some memory that you oh, would never have had access to it's like teleportation for me there's and i think for me it partly it's the music the musicality mm. of like the way the way somebody said something there's a certain musicality uh that that really made it stick in my head maybe it made me laugh and made an emotional impact as well but there are there's probably dozens of things like that the doorman outside of a bar. As far as I'm concerned, all you new waivers are in purgatory. I'll never forget that line. <laughs> outside of, outside of uh, it was New Wave Night at a Gay Bar. And the guy goes, well, as far as I'm concerned, all you new waivers are in purgatory. And that line, it's just tattooed on my head forever. Sure. Murmur's a good record if you like keyboard-oriented music. The phrase keyboard-oriented music <laughs> has just stuck in my head. Why would you oh. say that? Why? There's like 50 different ways. Why would you ever say Murmur's a good record if you like keyboard-oriented music? Keyboard-oriented music. There's nothing no thing about there's that. No, no keyboards on Murmur. There's camera. You got camera. It's got some piano on it. And that's pretty much it. Keyboard-oriented music. Keyboard-oriented music, said the guy at Vinyl Fever in Tampa, Florida in 1983. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Sean Nelson is full of uh, great quotes like that. <laughs> Uh, uh, the, the most famous being, it's not uh, show friend. <laughs> no, not the not the show friend. The most famous one is, um, uh, well, God, I can't, I can't, I can't lose it now. Oh no! Um, I never seen anyone so god all stupid as you put oil on the radiator. Is that a quote? That's a quote. Because Sean Nelson put oil in his car, radio. his car was overheating or something. He was like, "Oh shit!" And he went and screwed the cap. And he was like, uh, "I guess you put oil in here." And he put a fucking quart of oil in his radiator. <laughs> Are you took, kidding? Took it to a mechanic somewhere in Virginia, and the, never seen it. Oh no, no, no! I'm sorry. Never seen anyone as shit all stupid. As, <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> as shit all stupid as you put oil in the radiator. One ten twenty exposure. Well, mm. The the the. the the memories that pour out of my head, and the problem is when they when that happens, I seize on them, and I say, <clears throat> "Please don't let this be the last time I remember this. Please, brain, do not be disgorging this memory." And now I'm experiencing it this last time. Oh, I think about that too. And then it's gone because you'd never know if that was the last time you. You wouldn't it. know, right? You're not going to recall it, and so I I grab these memories by the ankle. And I'm like, please don't go, don't go. And I and I reinforce them, desperately trying to hold on to this feeling of like, and that just then that just degrades it. I, I think of like, remember when you're a little kid, and like use number four for silly putty was you can make it flat, put it on the Sunday funnies, mm. and then peel it off, and you got a reverse image of the Sunday funnies on there. Why would you want? Why you would want to do that? I don't know, but of course you do that. You get silly you putty, you make a little pancake, you put it onto your uh, Dag Wooden Blondie, and you pull right. it off. 
That's now, exactly what you do. It's Dagwood and Blondie is where you put it too. It's not like you're on, so technically it's so technically it's Blondie. But you uh, you look at it then, and so here's you got two things now. On the one hand, you kind of fucked up your silly putty a little bit with this pointless it's, it's reverse got some image. Paint on it now, but yeah. you know what happened? You removed a lot of the image from the page and the paper. Right. You do it again, takes a little bit more of the image off. And to me, that's how memories are. I worry that each time, at first, I'm just removing a little bit of the clarity, then mm. I'm removing some of the color, and eventually I'm actually destroying the line work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. One exposure. Attack ships burning off the shoulder of Orion. Tears in rain. Ah! L-T-I-R! I don't want, you know, if... The things I've seen, Merlin. Oh, yeah, sure. You get the sea beams. The thing don't they are? The, the thing, the, yeah, that's right. Sea beams glittering off the Tannhauser Gate. You can let's remember not that. Go, let's not go there. <laughs> um, uh, I, uh, the thing is that the 70s live so, so uh, vividly in my memory. Ah, uh, uh, indelible. And Ancient mi- Chinese secret, huh? <laughs> I miss them. Every I- intonation of every commercial. I'm the sole survivor. I still have every note of that music in my head. Bible has a first name. But listen, this isn't. I'm not, just talk- <laughs> I'm not just talking about the Museum of Television and Industry. Aren't you? Like, do you remember when you would pull into a gas station and there was a and a there was a person that came over and oh, wiped oh, his hands oh, on a oh, rag oh, and said i'll take you one further than fill that. her up i'll take you one further than that i heard a sound last week and I, I i flipped out and then my daughter my daughter obviously who already thinks i'm nuts i was like that sound that sound i was like that's the sound you used to hear when you pull into a gas station and you know what that sound ding, was ding. ding ding because you drive over the thing and it goes you ding drive ding. Drive over the thing and it goes ding ding. When was the last time you drove over a thing that it's went ding? It's gotta be twenty years. It's gotta be at and least twenty years. And it used to be you drove over a thing that went ding ding every freaking day. All the time. Everywhere and then, you went. But it, the thing is, I don't know where it was. It might have been some ringtone or something, something on the radio, but I heard something that sounded enough like the ding ding. It's that tone. Ding ding. And I heard that and I was instantly transported back to like the early oh, 80s. Oh. Now now I want one of those. <laughs> That would be so handy. If you had one, just like uh, on your out porch? front of your... Well, just the problem is, as you remember from the 70s, yeah, you, you, could not, you could not make the ding with your shoes. Nope. I sure tried. You'd stand out there and jump on that hose and couldn't make it go ding. So oh, God. The, it's not useful. I want it. Unless, you're, unless you own a garage or unless you are a car rental agency or some other thing where you want to be signaled that a customer is arriving by car. I didn't mean to derail you, but th- I had to mention that just because it was like a, less than a week ago that that sound I hadn't heard in years. And it was instantly like it was a sound that I, that I heard every day still. It, it instantly transported me back. I feel like our young listeners right now are rolling their eyes so hard in their heads that they're going to have to go see a doctor because we are having an old man podcast now where we're talking about things. We're t- I, rem- I remember the oil embargo. <laughs> it's not. It's not. I said that to a kid. There was, the there was a time when you couldn't buy ice cream everywhere. A lot of I people don't standing, know that now. Standing next you could to buy a cigarettes guy. at a pharmacy like a gentleman. What were we doing? We were waiting in line. I was waiting in line with a guy that I could tell was 30, probably. And I said to him, by way of trying to, like, break the conversational ice, I bet you're too young to remember the oil embargo. (laughs) (laughs) And he looked at me. 
he looked at me like I said, uh, you know, like I had said something to the effect of, uh, we're, uh, <laughs> did you ever visit Prussia? <laughs> like, you're you win the young, bet, JR. <laughs> you're too young to remember the oil embargo, I said, by way of trying to commiserate with this guy that we were waiting in line at a coffee shop. It sounds like an awesome, terrible pickup line. Hey, how's it going? How's it going? Man, it's loud in here. I bet you're too young to remember the oil embargo. Right? Say, how much do you know about the Carter administration? Because I know a lot. It's a big remember, new Brzezinski. Remember he told us to turn down our thermostats? Remember that? It was crazy, man. That helicopter in the desert, man. Oh, it was only a few years, too. Walter Four Mondale. short years. You remember Walter Mondale? Oh, my God. My God, the first person I ever voted for for president was uh, Dukakis. Me, too. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, well, that's you, right. You were, uh, you were of age then. Dukakis and Benson. Oh, boy. That was a killer lineup. It sure was. Mm. It sure was, boy. And, uh, and, and we lost. We lost big time because he rode around in that tank with that ill-fitting helmet. Oh, that's a turns-out story, I think. I think that was a jam-up. You know, uh, he came to Spokane, <clears throat> and I. this was one of my first moments of pure, like, pure crowd work. Uh, uh, Dukakis was coming to speak at the at the big um, student sports pavilion at Gonzaga, and they it's had called the Monk Dome. Yeah, it was yeah right. It's called it's called Father Sitter Dome, and the sports arena sat what uh, let's say eight thousand people, and twenty thousand people showed up. To see Dukakis in Spokane in 1988. And then no one was prepared for it. And he was supposed to be there at 8 p.m. And he, and the sports stadium was full of people. And then there was another, you know, there was a, just thousands of people outside who couldn't get in, but didn't want to leave without getting a glimpse of Dukakis. And the police were there, and they'd strung up ropes, but they were completely outmatched. And so the young Democrats uh, were trying to do crowd control, and the audience was kind of, uh, this huge crowd outside the stadium was kind of surging against this, this rope line that they had, and Dukakis didn't come. It was, then it was 9 o'clock. Are you kidding? Then it was 9.30, and, and people kept walking the line... You know, like the the a guy from the National Democratic Party would walk the line. He'd say, "He's on his way, everyone. We're sorry. He's just he's on his way. It'll be a little bit longer." And the crowd is is really a, a, a lot of people and pushing against this this rope line that's just being held by some undergraduates, and they have this look of like total fear in their eyes. And I'm in the crowd. Uh, not involved with the Young Democrats, not a part of the scene at all. Just came to see Dukakis. And once I got into the mob scene, then I was just there to see the mob. And it's kind of cold out. The crowd is getting really restless. This guy's been by five or six times saying, hey, you know, he'll be here in a little while. And people are starting to not believe him. And they're starting to shout back at him. And the crowd is pressing forward so that the 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 young Democrats in their little blue suits and their little blue like skirt and jacket combos are starting to get 
afraid. Like they're starting to get panicky. They're getting pushed against this wall and there's not, there's no room for them to, um, to maneuver. And they're, you know, there's, there's a horrible way to die, right? To be crushed at, at, a, at a Dukakis, at a Dukakis rally that he didn't show up for. And they're squeaking at the crowd. Like, <clears throat> can you please, can you please, everybody just take one step back. Everybody just take one step back. And nobody hears them and nobody cares. And, you know, the crowd is starting to rubble, 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 rubble. And at a certain point, this uh, this gal that's right in front of me, and she's exactly my age. She's probably 20 years old. And she's just like, please, please, everyone, please. stay And she starts to get the, the sound in her voice. And I'm watching this all go down and i was you know i was just thrilled to be in a in a crowd right but i i see it and i start to and, and I, I just have this like flash of of like oh no this this is actually a bad scene it hasn't gotten to be a bad scene yet but it is we are we're at the threshold where uh, once we cross it it's just a bad scene like well yeah, we, there's there's a point where it goes from oh boy i hope this doesn't get worse to it's a matter of time until something terrible happens yeah and and, and, and it's kind what, of it's, you really can't pull back from that once it starts what, what had happened was uh, no one was respecting anybody anymore and it was just a question of if if dukakis had showed up at that moment it would have been uh you know it would have just been chaos and so uh, for whatever reason i ducked my head under the rope and this girl <clears throat> looked at me with like total panic like here it comes i ducked my head under the rope i turned around face the crowd and i was like hello everybody can you can i get your attention please and i went into david lee roth mode <laughs> and all of a sudden you know the 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 400 people that were closest to me had something to look at, right? All of a sudden, there's a guy, big guy, who's talking in a voice that is audible, right? Every all, all these all these uh, these undergraduates were like, "Please, everybody, step back!" And then all of a sudden, there's like, "Hello, people!" <laughs> and so everybody looks at me, and I'm like, "I want, I want to, I want to try something right now. Can I get everybody to just do si do back two steps?" And everybody steps back, takes two steps. And I was like, very good. All right, now let's take another <laughs> You knew the, you knew the secret was to just do it like you're David Lee Roth. Yeah. Like, Can I get a ha? And everybody takes another two steps back. And then I was like, tonight is going to be one of the greatest nights of our lives because we are going to see Mike Dukakis. And everybody kind of cheers, but they also know that I'm, uh, that I'm mocking so, that, so they're like laughing and cheering. And I just... You know the 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 uh, the top of my head's caught on fire, and I was just like, so all of a sudden now there's fifteen hundred people listening to me and laughing, and I did forty five minutes of <laughs> top of my voice stand up comedy based on Mike Dukakis not having arrived yet. <laughs> And it was, I mean, one of the first times that that, uh, that I'd ever had that experience where it was just like, oh, I know what I'm put here on earth to do. I am put here on earth to do this, whatever this is. And, you know, the young Democrats were like all rallying behind me like they, 
I, I was their hero, and they were like, you know, oh my God, you've got to, you know, please join the Young Democrats and all this kind of crazy stuff. And with my, and then I had a team, I had 10 people who were willing to work with me and for me to move this crowd and to get them to do things. And I was like, I want everybody to say, on the count of three, I want everybody to say, hey, whoa. And you, you, know, found, like, you found hey, your whoa. instrument. You found your I, instrument. I did. It was, it In was, the, you had the, uh, the monk dome putsch. I was I was I was just sheep herder. I was made to do this. You know, I had my I had my crook, I had my I had my my robe, I had my can of dog food and my wooden spoon and I was like I will go I will follow this crowd now. The crowd and I are together and we are one. And then Dukakis arrived. And I ha- I was whipping this crowd into a frenzy. And I was just like, he's here, the man himself, Mike Dukakis. And the crowd's just like, ah! And Dukakis arrives, his car drives over in through a, in through like a garage door. We never see him. What? He gives a, he gives a 45 minute speech in the stadium to the 8,000 people that are in there. And the, the the whole time I'm out there like, he's going to come out. You know, I'm making promises on behalf of Mike Dukakis. No one has authorized me to do this. But I'm like, he's going he's gonna to stand on that stair. And he is going to tell us his plan for America. I'm, I, I'm, I've, I've turned into Al Pacino. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, at the end of the thing, at the end of the rally, and this is where, this is where I lost my faith in the Democratic Party. Because there were national Democrats who were there and who were very happy about what I was doing and very proud of me. And and I was like, he's going to come and stand on that stair, right? There are thousands of people out here. We've been waiting for hours. And they were like, oh, yeah. And they're talking into their little headset microphones. And when Mike Dukakis was done, he got in his car and he drove away and never appeared before this massive crowd that had that had uh, that was standing at the basically the foot of a staircase that he could have walked out the door and been like wave, blow a kiss, we all would have voted for him. Mm. And instead, his his handlers probably didn't even tell him that that crowd was out there or whatever. But it was a it was a moment where when that crowd dispersed in a feeling of disappointment, like I stood there and shook hands with people and was like you know. We were we we went through this together. This was this was us, you and me, and and I felt I I was I was born again. I was born again in the light. But like that that could that could have been if you know if he had five or ten more moments like that around the country, it could have been maybe a little bit different. Oh, the, the, I feel like I feel like it was. Uh, I saw a glimpse behind the curtain of how not to run. A political campaign. It just because it really he really seemed defined by that kind of lack of energy and enthusiasm. Yeah, and it was. And I I have to imagine. I mean, if some guy, if some like balding guy in a in a in a light blue suit walked up to him after his speech and whispered in his ear, uh, uh, "Governor, there are like eight thousand people outside here, and there's we could just walk you up and like walk out the door and wave to them, just make an appearance." Yeah, I I I don't. I don't believe that he that he ever received that information because no politician of any kind, even a lackadaisical one, would say, "Nah, I kind of want to get to the hotel. I want to catch Carson." 
You know, so what it was was a failure of the guy, the balding guy in the blue suit, mm-hmm. who was concerned with timetables. Uh, well, Governor, we're already late. We need to get back to the, you know, and this is the thing that never would have happened with Bill Clinton, right? Bill Clinton always right. stood. He went. He would go out and shake. The ha- those people's hands until two o'clock in the morning, but somebody, you know, uh, the person whose job it was, and that was the, that was what was so interesting about it because it, what stood out to me was there is somebody whose job this is, but that person doesn't recognize that this is their job. They've been given a job description. They are they are following that job description, and they are missing the fact that this is their job actually, mm-hmm. and so. There is a there is this this concept of a job description which is, um, which is solve problems as they arise. Or, or, or you know, another way is just to think that your your job, you know, I have this feeling sometimes. I don't mean this to sound like mean or something, but like that you know, once you get any kind of to, to do anything good or big, you eventually need to have some structure. You eventually need like infrastructure and bureaucracy to run anything. The problem is once you introduce infrastructure and bureaucracy to anything, the infrastructure and bureaucracy becomes the most important part of the prog- of the whole entire process. In, in, in my opinion, like mm-hmm. the, the bureaucracy will always win. And I don't. Again, you and I, we we well, isn't I'm that not a putting... Clapton song from the eighties? <laughs> the bureaucracy will always win. Win. Uh, and so in this instance, though, you have to understand that, like, yes, your, your, in your job is certainly to do your administrative stuff and make sure that he doesn't get, you know, sniped or anything like that. Right. Get him but on you know the what your plane. real job is in that campaign, no matter who you are, is to notice an unrecognized opportunity and capitalize on it. Cause that's how you change an election. Yeah. Is right. to go like, oh, shit, man. There's got to be at least a couple people in this, whatever, 7,000 people that could have a huge impact and we don't even know it. It's not going to take that much more energy. They're already here. Right. What a no-brainer to go out there as a photo op and go, oh, he could have just gone in and watched Carson, but he came out because it meant a lot to him to get in touch with the people who believed him in the program. And it's the weird thing Opportunity of like, finders. Everybody's job on that campaign is ultimately to get him elected. And so, and I'm sure there was, a, I'm sure the guy in the blue suit was like, well, you know, he probably, he needs his rest. He's been going all day. And this is a, this is Spokane, Washington. Like unimportant crowd, un- like it's better to conserve his energy, you know. Uh, people making that kind of decision and mm-hmm. and making them making them incorrectly, um, because ultimately, like everybody's job is the same on that campaign, and it is to do whatever it takes to get him elected. And I mean, not whatever it takes, whatever it takes within the law, <laughs> right? Whatever ethic, whatever it takes within ethics and the law. But there's so much dynamism in every campaign. Like, in retrospect, you get to see these big patterns and go, well, really, everything after this date, it was a foregone conclusion. But you right. don't really ever know because you never know what's going to come up. You don't know when, when like, a, a Gary Hart kind of thing is going to happen. You don't know when this game is going to completely change. And you've got to you, be scanning that, scanning that horizon, being ready for any kind of an opportunity. Do you remember – it wasn't that long ago, Marilyn. Yeah. Do you remember when Mitt Romney was – uh, running for the American presidency, Mitt Romney was a Republican candidate mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. presidency. That's right. I, uh, I remember the name. Yeah, in recent in recent memory. Well, <clears throat> and I his suppose. his people, who comprise some of the uh, best connected political minds in our country, believed that he was going to be the victor until. Uh, until after the polls had closed. I think they thought he was going to walk away with it. 
They he, they were gloating yeah. about it. That is how little anybody knows. Don't you think part of that is <clears throat> okay? Get ready, John. <clears throat> you get to be here for the premiere <laughs> of one of my most despised douche catchphrases. Uh, don't you think that's mostly optics? Don't you think that's mostly we need to make it look like that's the case, whether we believe it or not? No, no. I, I, I've, I've seen a, a lot of those optics moments, mm. as you describe. Uh, <laughs> I hate optics, it so much. Optics moments. Is that optics with a K? O-P-T-I-K-S? Optics? No, it's optics with a C, and oh. it's, it's another one of those words where you could use something that's perfectly fine instead, <laughs> how it looks. Mm. You got to work on the optics. Yeah, optics. No, I believe honestly that a whole lot of those people, uh, the, the 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 lion's share of them, really, honestly believed that there was no way he could lose uh, to Barack Obama, and that it was in the bag. Mm-hmm. That's why they were so. That's why they were so devastated when it was so devastatingly not in the bag. Like I don't think Dukakis thought that he was going to win. Past a certain point. <laughs> and it showed. It, it really did show. He really limped to the finish line. And, I mean, imagine losing an election to George Herbert Walker Bush. Mm. It's like losing an election to uh, an, a, an animated cardboard Halloween skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> 110-20 exposure. <clears throat> 110-20 exposure. 110-20 exposure.